We don't know the emptiness they feel, the loneliness, the loneliness that they have. So until we understand theologically who we are and what we're called to do, nothing this world offers will ever bring us the joy or the purpose that we ultimately desire and what we've been designed to do. In fact, Solomon wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes that God has written eternity on our hearts. And that means this, that you and I were made to live for something that transcends anything and everything that our world offers us. We're designed for that. So that's why when you get married, marriage isn't going to fix what's broken in your life. It's not going to make everything better. That doesn't mean when you get a new job that when you accomplish uh, your dreams and you get your dream job, if, you, if that ever happens for you, or uh, if you ever get to go on that dream vacation, or, or whatever it is. That's why when those things happen, ultimately, they never fill us up. It's like drinking sand. It never brings us the fullness and the satisfaction that we were created for, ultimately, because God has said, I've written something greater, something more grand, something more transcendent on your hearts. What God is saying to us in this book, he's saying, look, you were made for more. You were made for more. Many of us struggle with this internal restlessness. I mean, I, look, man, there's, we are the highest medicated country on the planet. We've got drugs for depression. We have drugs for anxiety. We self-medicate. Uh, we, uh, we drink too much. Uh, we binge too much TV. We eat too much. I mean, Americans are more concerned about how they feel than what God is actually doing in their lives. I'm not here to preach against medication or any of those things. I think uh, to some degree, those things can definitely be a catalyst to getting better, but they're not the ultimate solution. So we're obvious, obviously we're restless. We're bored creatures. We're looking to be entertained. I think silence and solitude scares us, and we're always looking for something to satisfy us. Anything that we experience in this world it may mitigate what we're feeling, and it may temporarily numb the boredom, but it will not satisfy the aching of our hearts and souls for what we've actually been created for. Augustine said it this way, for you've made us for yourself. Oh Lord, our heart is restless until it rests in you. God's plan for our lives includes more than just being busy and going from one thing to the next, never really accomplishing anything of significance. And so God's calling this morning for you and for me and for all of us is this. It's the call of the abundant life. It's to live life to the fullest. It's, it's to live the good life, a life that's richly blessed and filled with purpose. And Jesus spoke into this very topic when he was on earth in John chapter 10, verse 10, when he said, the thief comes only to kill and destroy, but I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I came that you might know what it really means to live. And so this morning, if you've never been uh, introduced uh, to Jesus Christ and you don't have a relationship with him, you're missing out on the greatest life that you could possibly live. And so what I would, so what would it look like for you this morning, for you and for me, for all of us ultimately, to step into a new year and a new decade focused on God with purpose, the purpose of living life to the fullest. I mean, really, really living to the fullest. You know, when I began to think about this particular 
topic. I began to think about the new year, the new decade, and, and what God might have for us this coming year as a church. I couldn't help but think about the life of Solomon. And I use Solomon a lot in many of my messages because I think it speaks to us at the core as human beings. Because we tend to think, and I know I'm this way, we tend to think if I could just get to this place in my life, if I could just accomplish this, if I could just get this. How many of you buy a new car and you love a new car? How many loves the new car smell? Give me an amen on that. And then when your kids ride around in it for like a week and they get french fries and cheeseburger stains and Kool-Aid in it, uh, coffee stains that happened on the way here this morning, praise God, right? And then all of a sudden you're like, man, I need another new car. I mean, everything in this life, in this life, is not built to last. I mean, we, we do everything that we can. I've got a daughter that's turning 15 this year, and now she wants to get her permit, and then she's going to want her license, and then what will she want? She's going to want a car, and then she's going to want to graduate, and then she's going to want to go to college, and then she's going to want to meet that guy, and then she's going to want to get married, and then they're going to uh, want to buy a home, and then they're going to want to have a kid, and then they're going to want to, hopefully they'll get jobs somewhere in there, right? Because they're not living with me. This isn't going to be a failure to launch. It's going to be a kick out the door. And they're going to want this and this and this. And life is a series of steps. And we think once we get to that step, our soul will be settled. Our life will be complete. And how many of you can attest and make testimony today that I just keep feeling like I'm on this, this gerbil wheel and I'm running in place and it never seems to end? Amen. I don't know anyone better that could speak into this than Solomon. I mean... When God asked him, when he was walking with God, God said, what can I give you? What is one thing that I can give you that would help you? And Solomon says to God in a conversation they were having in the Old Testament, he says, honestly, more than anything, I need your wisdom to rule and reign over your people. I need wisdom. I don't know why he'd ask for wisdom because I'd ask for a lot of other things, man. Like a hoverboard, you know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I want wisdom. And just because God gave him wisdom, he got everything else that he wanted. In fact, he even went beyond that. Solomon was actually probably the richest man that ever walked the face of the earth. He'd make Bill Gates, the combined fortune of Bill Gates and um, Steve Jobs, you know, look like a welfare office, right? He was that wealthy. Anything that he wanted was at his fingertips. In fact, I think that he likely invented the stand-up comic. He had people come in and just make him laugh. He had 700 wives. Uh, can't explain that, right? 300 concubines, women that just kind of live there and chill out, and you guys know what that means, right? A thousand women. He had parties that they wrote songs about. I mean, anything that he wanted, he had access to. And he wrote the wisdom literature, which is Proverbs, and then he also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, and then he wrote the book of the Song of Solomon, which is a book on uh, sexuality. But he comes down to Ecclesiastes chapter number 12, and he's getting down to the end of his life, and he wants to impart, even though he knows that he's made some mistakes, he's made some decisions that have not aligned with his calling, and some things that have left him feeling vain and empty. In fact, we'll look at a verse later on where he gives that testimony. And he says, you know, as I look at life, and Mike read this this morning, when I look at life, I recognize that I did not live my life well. So I want to impart unto you some wisdom. 
I want you to understand what it would mean for you to live the good life, to live life to the fullest. And in verse number one, he says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. And remember that before the days uh, come and the years draw near, which, which you will say, I, look at that, under, please underline that, I have no pleasure in them. Remember now, you're a creator in the days of your youth, because there's going to come a day when you say, I have no pleasure in living. In fact, this entire passage, the word uh, remember echoes throughout the entire text, because it means, uh, remember means to think about God. It means to pay attention to or to consider with the intention of obeying. And look with me in verse number two. He goes, before the sun and light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. You know what he's saying there? Remember your creator before you lose your sight. He goes on to say, In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the, the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed. The doors at the street are shut. When the sound of the ground, I lose my hearing. The sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of the song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and the terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along. The desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets. That means that there, there are those who are going to mourn our death. And this is what he's saying throughout the rest of the passage there through verse number 8. He's like, we are every day walking one step closer to the day in which we will never, ever take another breath again. Now, this year's been unique for me and to some degree because I don't know how many of you have ever really watched someone die. This past year, uh, I was in Florida in January, and I, uh, when I was down there for a conference, I slipped in and saw my mom and her husband for a day, and we spent the afternoon. My wife and I had a great time with them. We go back in April for our family vacation, and we uh, spend a couple of days there at the home. Everything seems fine. Now, um, I'm heading on vacation, and I get a phone call while we're on vacation, and my mom says to me, uh, Jerry's got terminal cancer. We, as soon as I get home, we fly back down there, and we see him, and uh, we get off the plane. I'm not even sure if he's going to make it because his kidneys are failing. And now we're watching him, and we're hoping that he lives. He gets some chemo. Uh, he looks a little bit better. This past Christmas, we sat there, and no kidding, almost every day I'd sit and we'd watch TV together. Uh, we watched movies. I know he likes westerns and uh, things like that, and so we watched some stuff like that, and he just sat there, not saying a word, barely eating. Some days he would eat a little bit of uh, a food, but I mean, it was enough that you could probably hold in your hand. And this is exactly right here in this text. This is exactly what Solomon is talking about. He's saying to you and to me, you need to remember your creator before those days come. I know of a young person that doesn't attend church here, but uh, she was kind of making some decisions that are not aligned with God's word and their family values. She says, I know what's right. And I know what's wrong. And one day I will choose what is right. But right now I'm going to do what I want to do. And friends, you're never ever, regardless of your age, guaranteed of another day. God says, remember. You know, we forget a lot of important things. You probably didn't wake up and think, man, I'm thankful for gravity, right? You know, gravity's a governing force that God has set to help us uh, function here on this earth. And when we don't, we don't, honestly, we don't think about it much. So is God like that to you? Some gravitational force that keeps things going but is rarely given much thought? Is he an afterthought that is a tag on to life? 
How about a car windshield? Did you get in your car this morning and, and think about how hard it would be to drive without a car windshield? I didn't. I just got in and drove. But could you imagine what it would be like driving without a car windshield? You'd arrive with bugs all over your face and your hair would be windblown. And I know some of you came in here looking like that anyways, but neither here nor there. Did you ever get in the car and think, man, I'm glad for this windshield? And is God like that to you? Do you look past him? Listen, do you look past God and just forget what he does? We live in a culture that dismisses the reality of God. He is, he was, and he is to come. And Christianity, followers of Christ, have a tendency to ignore God until they need him. And that's simply not biblical Christianity because Christ is the center of our lives, our dreams, our schedules, our passions, our priorities. He's to be the first and the preeminent. And Paul said it this way, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent or that he might have the first place in all things. So we have to remember God. People are thirsty for new ideas, ways of understanding and interpreting the meaning of life. And if a man wants wholeness, he must begin with God. Anything less, anything less than first place is idolatry. So Solomon says, remember. But then he goes on to say in verse number 12 and thir- or 13 and 14, he says, let's hear, he says, let's look at the end of the whole matter, Right? I memorized this when I was a kid in the King James, and it says, for let's hear the conclusion of the matter. What he's saying there is that this entire statement, honestly, should just weight us down, should really cause us to pause and think for just a moment. He says, let us, let us consider the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now, the word fear here shows profound respect for the one that borders on the fear of the object. Friends, that's the whole duty of man. The unchanging authority of God's word. In the end, nothing else matters. The end of man, right, that Solomon is talking here, means the purpose of life. What he's saying there is, let's hear the conclusion of the matter. Let's hear the end of the matter. What he's saying there is, what is it that defines our life? What is it that really, really, really matters in our lives? Solomon says that you might fear God, that you would fear him. G. Campbell Morgan said, man in his entirety must begin with God, the whole of man, the fear of God. The antidote to every idol in life is cured by the supreme worship of God. Now let's talk about fear for just a minute. An unholy fear makes people run away from God, right? An unholy fear makes people run away from God, but a holy fear brings them to their knees in loving submission to God. Okay, you see the difference? An unholy fear makes us run from him, but a holy fear, a biblical fear, brings us to our knees in loving submission. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a sense of awe. It's a, it's a sense of respect and reverence. And that, my friends, is what it means to worship him. The remarkable thing about God, one writer said, is this. The remarkable thing is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas when, if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. And friends, can I just say that's the testimony of 2019 for me? When I f- am afraid of other things and the, the lack of control that I have over them, my life is a just complete, it's, it, it's a train wreck. But when my heart is anchored to 
the Word of God and it's anchored to the character and the nature of who God is and what God does, I, I live in fear of nothing. Godly fear, Solomon wrote in Proverbs, is the beginning of wisdom. It is not the cowering, it's not a cowering, but it's a reverential submission to the one who is reconciled or the one who is, who is made right with his creator. The one who has made God his all. You see, an attitude of reverence and awe that his people show, they love him and respect him for his greatness. Listen, you might jot this down today. Losing your awe for God can be very, very dangerous. It's very dangerous. Jerry Bridges said, here we walk with our Father humbly, acceptably, severely, looking at an offended God with terror, but at a reconciled God with reverential love. All gracious influences on the soul cherished under the power of the Spirit all of them flow out of a godly fear towards him. So when he says in this passage, let's hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. God, he's the mighty one. We're talking about the one who is omnipotent. This means he has all power and is sustained by nothing. You realize this morning that God is sustained by nothing but himself? Nothing keeps him alive. Nothing is the source of the power because he is power. This is the one that we bow our knees to. So reverence is the attitude that lives in awe of the one who has created each of us. So we remember and we reverence, but lastly, we respect. We respect. He says in this text, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. I don't know of a more simplistic passage on how we live life or how we live life to the fullest, how we live a life that is good. And then he goes on to say, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. In the light of God's supremacy, the only proper attitude in life is one of trust and obedience to God. Our hearts are anchored to a truth so powerful we are unwavering in our commitment to the one who sustains all things. In Deuteronomy, uh, the writer says this, And now, Israel, what does the Lord God require of you? How, how many of you are wondering, what does God want me to do? Right? What does God want me to do with my life? What, is, what does God want me to accomplish in 2020? How about this? Fear the Lord your God, walk in his ways, love him, and serve the Lord your God with fear and with all your heart and with all your soul. Do that in 2020 and you'll have an amazing year. Do that. And don't worry about all the specifics. Don't worry about breaking it down. Just do that right there, and God will guide you step by step. Listen, friends, I want you to understand this morning, and this is ultimately what Solomon is telling us. We don't own our lives because our lives are a gift from God, and so we respect that. Some people are spending their lives. Others are wasting their lives. Few are investing their lives, and yet we have the opportunity to live life to the fullest. And when life is anchored to God, we live for a greater, more significant purpose. And if there's one thing that I want you to understand, if there's one thing that I want us to wrap our hearts around in 2020, it's this. We live for eternity. We live for a life to come. And how's your life working for you right now? Going about from this to this to this to this. And man, I coach sports and I'm all for sports and stuff. But some of you, you have your kids in every ball league and in every soccer league, and you have them in every extracurricular that you possibly can imagine, hoping that maybe they'll get a scholarship or maybe they'll make it to the pros. 
But the chances of your child making it to the pros is like them getting by a shark in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean while also getting hit and struck by lightning at the very same time. It's a near impossibility. And what is it that you've taught your child at the end of their life when on a day that they may need the divine, what is it that they're going to turn to if you haven't given them the fear of God? What do they have? For many, if not most, we're spending our life. Yeah, you've got a nice home. You've got a nice car. You go on great vacations, but are you investing it? I'm not here to guilt. I'm not here to shame, but I'm here to remind you and call you to the purpose to which we've all been called, and that is service to God. The man who wrote this book couldn't have been a better person to tell the story of a life wasted on triviality. And some of our lives, we waste it on triviality. He spent most of his life on women, sex, and pleasure. He wanted for nothing, and now he cautions us. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 11, look at this verse with me. He says, in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 11, I considered all that my hands had done, all the toil that I expended in doing, and behold, it was all vanity and striving under the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Now that word vanity, the Hebrew word is havel, and the word means frustratingly enigmatic. And it means this, it's like a puzzle wrapped in a mystery. It's worse than a Rubik's Cube. It can't be figured out. And Solomon says, I've given my life to everything under the sun, and it is all Havel. It's frustrating because I'm still broken. I'm still thirsty. I still want more. Nothing satisfies my soul like the longing for eternity that God created me for. And so now I want you to understand, to remember, I want you to respect, and I want you to reverence God. And here's what Solomon, this is the conclusion right here. This is what Solomon wraps it up with. The realization that our lives are to be lived out for God. That's it. It's the realization. And until you come to that place in your life where you realize my life is not my own, my life was created for made for and designed to be lived for God in a specific way. Now, ultimately, we are creatures that have a tendency to question our creator. And we have a tendency to think like, oh man, if I, if I can't live my life the way that I want to, I'm going to miss out on the things in life that are really, really good. And so we toy with, we, 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 try, we, we trifle with things that we shouldn't. Uh, we step outside of God's design for our life in all kinds of areas because we think God ultimately is a cosmic killjoy. And for those of you that were raised in the church, you were taught, hey, you never do this, you never do this, you never do this, you can't do this, you can't. And as soon as you do you're going to get smacked by God because he's going to punish you for the bad decisions you make in your life. Can I just say to you, there are natural consequences built in the design of God, and it isn't always punitive from the standpoint of who God is. It's just God saying, hey, this is how I design life to be lived. And you can live it however you want, but when you step outside of that design, the natural consequences of not living within that design will come back to fruition in your life. You guys with me? Amen. And so what God is saying here is, or what Solomon is saying is, realize this, your life, your life is to be lived for God. It is in keeping the commandments that a man truly knows wisdom. 
The person who fears the Lord will pay attention to the word, obey it. He won't deliberately disobey or disregard God's law for his life. So if you're evaluating the last decade of your life, shoot, the last year, and you look at that through the lenses of the word, what really matters and do you regret the things that you've lived for? Do you regret those things? So he says, realize that. But then he says, too, there's going to be a reckoning. Our lives will be judged. He's just very clear on that. One day, probably sooner than we think, sooner than we expect, and most likely sooner than we want. Every one of us is going to stand before Almighty God. Now, for those of us who uh, know Christ as our Savior, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and, and the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. Do you realize that every one of us have a day that we're going to die? It's appointed unto God. It's coming. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this is the judgment. For Christians, it's not a judgment of whether or not we're going to get into heaven or not. It's a judgment of what we did with the life that we were given. It's a moment of being rewarded. God will reward us based on our motives of serving Him. And for others who've never uh, accepted that personal invitation to have a relationship with Christ that would then change their relationship with God, that's called the judgment seat of Christ. So all of us, whether we know God and we're right with God and have a relationship with Jesus, or those of us who aren't sure of that, every single one of us one day will stand before a holy God. So what Solomon is doing in this passage is he's saying, look, enjoy your youth. Enjoy it. Enjoy your passions. But here's the deal. One day, you're going to be judged for it. There will be a day of reckoning. Don't step into the new year or a new decade without really considering God's plan for your life. That would be, a, that'd be an epic fail today. If you leave here today and you're not thinking about, you're not considering God's plan for your life, we got to stop haphazardly, uh, haphazardly living with this gift called life. My calling, our calling as pastors is to prepare us to face God and not waste the life, the gift that God has given to you. And so I just want to ask you this morning, are you ready to step into this new year? Before you do, you must consider your focus because a life focused on God is a life lived to the fullest. It is a life that is lived that is good. With every head bowed and every eye closed, how many of you say to me this morning, Pastor Jason, I'm certain that I'm right with God, that I've been forgiven of my sins, and that I have a home in heaven. Could you just lift your hand and let me see those today? And I know that for sure. How many of you say to me this morning, Pastor, I'm not certain that I know Christ is my Savior. I don't know that I'm right with God. I don't know that, that heaven is my home. Would you lift your hand and let me pray for you this morning? Is there anyone that's like that that's here today? Amen. How many of you say to me this morning, I want to I be prepared to walk into this new year, this new decade. I don't want to regret my life. I want to live my life to the fullest, the life that God has for me. And I want you to pray for me this morning. Just lift your hand and let me see those hands this morning. Man, amen, hands all over the room, tons and tons of hands. In just a moment, John is going to lead us, and the worship team is going to lead us in a, a time of worship. And as he does that, if you lifted your hand, can I just encourage you to step out of your seat and come and dedicate the year to God at the altar? I know you can do that in your seat, but there is something symbolic about stepping out of your chair and saying to God, God, I'm going to, in reverence to you, not in, not in a cowering fear, but in reverence to you, I'm going to bow my knee and submit this year to you. I'm giving it to you. So would you do that here in just a moment?